Welcome to the Eternal ROI Podcast, where we share the real stories of workplace transformation. And now, here are your hosts, Will Stewart and Chris Patton. Welcome to the Eternal ROI Podcast. Thanks for watching and listening along. I'm Will Stewart, joined as always by the CEO of His Way at Work, Chris Patton. Hey, Chris. Will, good to see you today. Good to see you as well. We have a great guest today. And we always say that, but we have a great We one. always say that, but that's because, frankly, we do. That's we, true. We usually do. Yeah. Um, this is a friend of mine. It's also someone who uh, has been a had a huge impact on my journey. Mm. Um, it's also someone who I believe uh, has a lot to share today. So his name is Mike Shero, and Mike is the CEO of C12, which is, uh, well, I'm just going to let him tell you about that. Yeah. I think that's probably better, right? Yeah. It's it's a great group and community, which uh, I'm, I'm excited for people who haven't heard of C12, if there's anybody, for yeah. them to learn more about it. Yeah. It'll be great. Very good. Mike, good to see you. Hey, Chris and Will, good to see you guys. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you part of this. So for people, for the five people on the on the globe that doesn't know who C12 is, uh, tell us a little bit about what you guys do and who you are. So... Uh, when my grandmother heard I was getting involved in C12, she said, I looked it up and I, as best I can understand, Mike, is it basically like AA for CEOs? <laughs> and, and I said, how'd you get that? And she's like, well, I mean, it sounds like a support group for Christian CEOs. And I said, you know, that, that's close enough, grandmother. We'll, we'll, we'll work with that. It's not 12 steps, but I see how you got there. And if you could think about it being a global community for knuckleheads like me and Chris and you and others who are all trying to figure out how do we deal with the issue of running businesses, trying to do it to honor God, and wanting to figure out how do we live out who we're made to be in Christ in the context of all that. So we run business forums around the U.S., South America, Asia, different places that are full of guys and gals that are trying to figure this out together and came to a place where uh, kind of like AA, the first step is admitting you have a problem. So our first step is admitting, I I want to do this. I don't know how to do this or if I'm doing it right. And that's a big first step. And then the rest of the steps, I don't know how many steps we've got, but yeah. um, it's all that. So is that, a, Chris, what do you think about that? I think that's a does good that answer. I think AA for CEOs. I've, in fact, I think that should be on your business card. <laughs> Just I think my marketing guy is going to have a cow at that. That's not our company yeah, line, but maybe so. <laughs> yeah. Maybe so. So if you if you don't quite yet understand what they do, keep listening, and uh, I promise you, you'll get it fleshed out. It's very important. So uh, you're CEO now, but yep. your first interaction with with uh, C12 wasn't necessarily at the CEO level. So you came in uh, as a member, right? So tell us a little bit about that story. What's that journey that led you to saying, you know, I need to be a part of an organization? So I didn't think I did. In fact, I was uh, a begrudging, resistant, cynical, skeptical customer. The journey would have began working in Walgreens up in Chicago at a corporate job and first beginning a journey of wrestling through uh, what I'd now call something fancy like your sacred secular divide. I didn't know that. I just feel myself going, God, I feel like how you've created me for more and to be about eternal things. And yet I'm having all the success and I really like business. And I feel like these two are kind of warring for my time and attention. And there was this kind of pivotal moment where like God met me at my desk one night and said, well, does your vocation define your identity or does your identity inform your vocation? Why can't you be who I've made you to be in this company? And I went, because I have no idea what that looks like. 
And I remember journaling that night, I feel like God saying, ask him and let him answer that question. That kind of threw me down a journey of wrestling mm-hmm. with and trying to find mentors and what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus in business? Mm-hmm. Fast forward eight, nine years and a buddy met me in a coffee shop and said, hey, you should check out uh, this thing. I'm joining a C12 group. I said, what is it? And he said, it's a Christian business group for uh, business owners. And I said, no, thanks. I'm, I'm busy. I'm good. I've got a small group. I got consultants. I got friends. I'm on boards. I'm busy. And he said, Mike, you love Jesus. You love business. Why wouldn't you do this? And after all my excuses, I said, well, to be honest, I think Christian business things are weird. Um, <laughs> I think they can be wacky, goofy, shallow. Sometimes Jesus can be an excuse for running a poor business. Mediocre. Yeah. yeah. Mediocrity is too often associated with Christianity, which just, I think, is an insult to our God. Yes. Or I'd find in, I live in Texas, I met a lot of what I called good old boy clubs where they would do moral businesses, you know, integrity businesses, and tip God and be like, hey, I'm, I'm generous. I give 10% to missions, and so thus I'm a great Christian. Yeah. Um, and this buddy got me to a group by saying, yeah, 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 yeah. I get that too, Mike. But don't you feel this tension? And this is what got me to say, okay, I'll go to one meeting. He said, the tension of how do you balance trying to honor God in running a company and know, and wondering what does that even mean and how do you know you're doing it right or doing it good enough and, and what does God want when you're trying to keep your business running? Mm-hmm. And knowing we're all called to be about eternal things, is there more to business than just creating money that you can give away outside the business? What if the business itself was a ministry platform and what if we had accountability for that before God? And then third, while you're trying to spin the plates of changing the world for God and running a business, how do you keep your life in order and realize that God cares about me as a, in my case, I'm a son of God, a husband to Jackie, a father to some girls, and he actually cares about who I am and how I am as much as what I do. And he said, don't you feel the tension of all those things? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, every day. And he said, well, this is a serious group about pulling all three of those together and dealing wow. with them. And I went, Okay, I'll check that I'll out. Try it. So that's that's how it got me. That's how it got me to finally get over my excuses and go to a meeting. Yeah. That's incredible. What was the thing that that spurred you to start thinking about your faith in the workplace and how to put the two together? Was there a moment of just like crisis, or was there um, anything that kind of led to that, or was it just as you were growing in your faith, you you started realizing that you, you need you needed to live it in all aspects of your life? Uh, a couple things converge. I don't have nearly as cool a story as Chris Patton with the poetic <laughs> language and examples of souls and shadows of Carl Lotz. Um, but for me, two things kind of converged. I had uh, some friends saying, hey, man, you so love Jesus. Have you ever thought about going to seminary? In fact, even some folks saying, hey, we could make that happen. But then I had some friends saying, no, I feel like God's really uniquely gifting you in business. What if business is where you're supposed to do ministry? And I went, that sounds cool, but what the heck does that mean? Yeah. And they're like, we don't know, but he's <laughs> called you to be in business. Um, and it's like, okay. And then I sat at my desk one night and I, I finished a big project and I got a bunch of congratulatory emails from corporate high ups and it's stuff that's supposed to make you feel all good and beat your chests. And I sat there, my employees went away. I was filing away my last little kudos email, a little folder in my Lotus email account oh. um, <laughs> for Lotus. And mm. Good old days. And I sat there and I went, who cares? Like, what am I doing? I got a bunch of emails saying, congratulations. I made some big widgets. I made some other people a bunch of money. 
month from now is going to be what, what have you done for me lately? Five years from now, I won't remember what the email said. And 20 years from now, it will not matter. And I, I actually had a bit of a pity party at my desk that night going, God, is this, is this what I'm made for? To just get a bunch of kudos emails, to make widgets, to feel good about making a little more money? Is there, I feel like I'm made for more than this. And so I, I literally started whining to God about, I feel like I'm supposed to do more. And that's when he kind of led me through this process. I literally began writing out the things I'm called to be about and then going, gosh, I'm in a publicly traded company. What do you do? But it, it was just this kind of frustration of going, is this it? Just, yeah. you know, give some in my church, serve some. I, was, I felt like I was a really, you know, top quartile church member. I was yeah. trying to do a lot of <laughs> ministry stuff. Um, but I spent a lot of time in business. I was going, is there more than just not being bad? And, yeah. you know, I was the known Jesus guy, but I was like, man, we're called to make an eternal difference. We all are, but I wasn't seeing how do I do that until, and then I remember turning around in my seat, looking at the floor where I normally had cubes and offices of people. And I had 67 employees at the time. And I started looking at their faces and thinking about their stories and realizing that in that 67 group of people, I only knew two or three that actually went to church and knew Jesus at all. Mm-hmm. And I went, you know what? I got more people hurting and journeying with me every week in this widget making business than that come to my church on a given month that don't know Jesus. Mm. What am I doing to love them and actually view them not as just audiences to my Christian life, but actually my primary mission field? Yeah. And that's when everything just began to kind of change. I didn't have a lot of answers. I suddenly had a list of questions. Sure. Right. But it's incredible how the questions lead us on that journey that gets us to the place where uh, God wants us to be. Yeah. yeah. So uh, why do you think there's a a big dividing line in the brains of business leaders when it comes to church and then to to business? Because we, uh, you know, we hear from from our pastors and Christian leaders, you're supposed to be faithful to church, you're supposed to give, you're supposed to, you know, be a witness. Like we know all those things, but then for some reason, sometimes there's this, this disconnect which is when we walk into uh, our job, whether we're CEO or, or, you know, anyway, any position lower, you know, it's just like the, the, the mantle of Christianity goes off and then the, you know, Scrooge McDuck or whatever, whatever, <laughs> you know, allegory or analogy you want to use uh, comes on. What do you think that, why is there a divide there? Yeah, I've thought a lot about this and and I feel tentative when I speak about it because I grew up going to some great churches and I had fantastic pastors and, and youth ministers and senior pastors and mentors. And so this is not at all throwing stones at them. Hmm. But from a youngest age, I always viewed that there was kind of a two-class Christian world that either you're called into ministry and you're waiting to get that FedEx envelope from the Holy Spirit saying you're a special one that I'm going to send to <laughs> Africa, or maybe you get air conditioning, you get to be a youth pastor or whatever <laughs> it may be. But if you didn't get that call by the time you went to college, well, then you're probably just one of those, you know, guys or gals are supposed to go do good things, use your skills. You know, God honors using your skills and you're supposed to use my gifts. Um, go do a good job, give generously to those who are going yeah. And then be plugged in a local church. And so there's just this kind of, that's that's the path is kind of inferred. In fact, even at high school graduations, if you think about, we'll celebrate who's called to go into ministry. Yeah. The worship minister, the youth minister, the missionary kid, and everyone's like, little yeah. Jimmy, so proud of you. Yeah. Little Susie, just go be, us home, go be a school teacher. <laughs> Don't screw up. And if you can, 
tithe a little above the tithe yeah. help Jimmy as he goes to, you know, Madagascar or whatever. And <laughs> not to diminish that, but I think the implied message is if you don't get called into full-time ministry, you're on the bench. And mm. so at best, you're a part-time minister. So for me, I was viewing it all as evenings and weekends, the sure. margins of my time. Right. And and you don't think about, you don't sit there on Sunday. And most uh, pastors are not preaching doctrine saying, and how will you, Mr. Banker, how will you, Miss Grocery Store Manager, how will you, accountant, apply this truth of Jesus Tuesday when you're hiring somebody, firing somebody, or Thursday when you're dealing with a lawsuit? Yeah. Like we, we don't preach a theology with the business context. And thus, for many of us, we kind of separate my theology and doctrine for spiritual times and then worldly wisdom for the rest. Yeah. And it just kind of used the momentum and inertia cases. By the time I was wrestling with my identity at my desk that night, I didn't have examples. I didn't have heroes. I didn't have models. I didn't have like 20 things I knew I wasn't doing that I should be. I was going, how do you do this? Where do you what start? Is there? Yeah. Where do you start? Yeah. Like I literally, I wasn't feeling guilt for not doing the obvious playbook. I was going, is there a playbook? <laughs> Man, we're asking some of the same questions. I'll go back. I did I did have a youth pastor tell us one time as a group, he said, one out of th every three of you, or one out of every four, will go into the ministry. And I looked at my three buddies. I said, God, no, please not me. Please not me. I wasn't hoping for that envelope from the Holy Spirit. I was hoping I didn't right, get right. it. I looked at the other three and thought, there's no chance they're getting it. But... It's, it's that whole idea, and I don't blame, like you said, I don't want to cast stones. I don't want to blame the pastors or any of the, the ministry leaders, but it is either stated or inferred throughout my growing up in some really good places, good churches, that there is two different paths. And we're still, Mike, we're still bumping into students coming into or out of college and saying, man, I really love business, but I, I feel like God wants me to do something, you know, ministry-wise, and, and I'm not sure which, right? Yep. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. a, actually, um, to, to talk about your business, Chris, uh, a friend of mine, we were in my first C12 forum together. We were journeying through some material, and, and one day we, the topic of evangelism came up. And someone asked the question, like, hey, when's the last time you actually personally ever shared Christ with someone at work? And he went, man, I invite people to church all the time. I'm, I've got stacks of invite cards. I'm always handing them out. And, and someone said, well, last time I checked, the Great Commission of Jesus wasn't go there for all the world to invite people to your church. It was just <laughs> go make disciples. So your church is pretty far away from where your business is. And that's got a lot of hoops and hurdles. Why don't you just start talking about Jesus? And how do you know people are actually encountering the love of Jesus in your business? And he went, I don't, I don't. I don't know. Um, mm. And so we made a, made a challenge. She said, tell you what, over the next month, I'm going to try to have two spiritual conversations and just see where it goes. He called me a few days later. He's like, Mike, I don't, I, a big problem. I accidentally led somebody to Christ. I, I didn't mean <laughs> to. I was just trying to like try the spiritual conversation thing. So fast forward. And over the next couple of years, he had 37 people come to Christ in that business he had a, over 120 people in small groups meeting in all different shifts, big warehouse business, 24-7 operation. I went there for a company picnic and met guys coming out of the warehouse saying, 
I've never been in a spot where I actually not only knew my boss went to church, but where his walk with Jesus changed my life and made Jesus interesting to me. Mm. That guy's actually now, I think in the next month, he's coming to apply to be a His Way Work coach with you, Chris. But he started wow. at a place of going, like, I'm running a good business, I tithe, and I'm trying to invite everyone to church. We said, no, yeah. no, no, what if you just begin living out the Christ life there and see what God does. That's yeah. incredible. I get it. I it, it literally in the dealership. This has been, gosh, probably twenty years ago. Prior to really figuring out what I was supposed to do, I called a pastor of our church and said, "Hey, I've got somebody I need to send your way because he needs to hear about Jesus." <laughs> and I'm thinking that's the pastor. That's their job, right? I'm just that's a right. business guy that's just going to send somebody to him, and. Man, that just looking back at that, it makes sense at the time. But we are those. That's who. That's what we've got. We've got the relationship. So yeah, yeah. that's yeah. Uh, so switching gears a little, as you started on that journey, you have all these questions. You have that whole whole list. Um, you're probably starting getting some of them answered, and then you know your friend challenges you to to go to C12. What was that first mm-hmm. uh, meeting like? And and what did you what did you encounter there and 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 why is was c12 so important in your life because obviously you you stuck around um, drank the kool-aid yeah exactly mm-hmm. uh so chris Patton can tell you I'm, I'm a curious strange fellow um there's probably other adjectives he can supply as well <laughs> but so that's I, two of I them go to this, yeah that's true two of them i go to this forum day as a guest and i am frankly annoyed and intrigued by the fact that I'm watching men and women of very different businesses. We even had a used car sales, like used car lot owner there. And I was like, there, and you're a Christian. Okay. And so <laughs> they're there a lot. Like, there's literally a law firm there. There was a car dealership. There was a healthcare company. There was all these diverse folks and they were sharing transparently. They were pressing each other with a loving accountability that I didn't mm. see in my own small group, but I hosted my home and I thought I was a pretty darn good small group leader. And then they were talking about business, like authentically, passionately with the zeal of like, man, I want to steward this business to honor God. And anyway, at the breaks, I walked around the room, I'm like, why are you in C12? What do you get out? Is this real? Is this stage? Is this like a timeshare? Like, where's the next next thing? Um, And I realized that, well, I had lots of circles I was in and I had lots of groups I was in and forums I was part of from a board perspective or other things. I didn't have a spot where... Um, no one wanted anything from me. There was no conflict of interest. No one's here to sell for me, buy from me, or expect something from me. And where we could actually look at the integration of all things. And I began to realize that, man, I had I had good theology, but I didn't have good practice. Mm. And I didn't know how to blend, blend those worlds together. And it's too easy when I, uh, when I moved to Texas about 15, 16 years ago, and I asked people, what does it mean to you to be a Christian running a business? I generally got what I consider a, an ethic of do no harm, mm-hmm. you know, show, wave a Jesus flag, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I'm, I pay people well, I don't lie, I don't steal, I, I use good language, um, I try to do fair contracts, some, some, not to say those things are a given, but those are kind of minimum permission to play things, right? and then be generous and wave the Jesus flag. So people would say, well, I say God bless you when people sneeze, I say Merry Christmas, <laughs> um, but once you get beyond the not doing bad and some little signals, it was like, yeah, but what else is actually, how is someone going to experience the kingdom of God, the, the love of Jesus 
profoundly. And that's, I realized I needed a place where I was being held accountable. Hey, it's really great that you do this thing on Sunday or even this cool little thing I do for Jesus in the business. But the way you handle that dispute, gosh, the way you handle that legal matter with that customer, the way you're representing this marketing message, all those things matter to God. Mm-hmm. And by the way, all these people are people are the most prized possession in the world to him is the people I'm transacting with, whether internally or externally. And I'm accountable to God for those. That that was kind of a, uh, I, we sometimes talk about this uh, depression cycle you go through in C12. It's a horrible sales pitch. Like, like, <laughs> don't let Mike speak on podcasts again. Um, but whatever you rate yourself as a Christian, you know, and the Christian number on a one to 10 would be a seven, right? That's what we say. Like, not yeah. bad, could be better, seven. but let's say seven. So you say seven. But then you come in and you begin to look at all the different areas of your business. And we like to say, you know, if Jesus was to come to an audit of your company, walk through every department and have you explain why you do things a certain way, where would you be like, oh, let's, let's look over here, Jesus. You know, let's yeah. don't, don't look over there. After you get a few months into C12 and you're kind of, looking at all these areas of your leadership and all these areas of potential. And you get asked, you know, how are you caring for these people and these people and these people? Mm-hmm. I was like, then again, I'm going to downgrade that from a seven to maybe yeah. a four. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of get to reality and then you begin to climb back out and you get to celebrate the, the, the joy of first steps and next steps. And I'm, you know, I want to hit, hit pause solution. there for a second. Hit pause there. So a danger in this moment right now in this, in this episode is Mm -hmm. someone starts thinking, I need to rank myself. I need to start (laughs) doing, no, just hear me out. Start doing more to raise Mm -hmm. my rank. And that's not what we're talking about. I want to be clear here. We're talking about your identity being whole, the same at work as it is on Sunday Mm -hmm. and, and your identity being in Christ and you're doing things as a as a outpouring of that, not to achieve that, right? Mm-hmm. Thank you, Chris. That that's a um, that's a critical truth calibration point because I think the other part I didn't I didn't even know I was missing is if you fundamentally believe that business is just a necessary evil or your job is just the thing you do because you didn't get called and your support people do. You also kind of run the risk of, of separating your walk with Jesus to just be about like kind of clocking into business, clocking out of business and not journeying with Jesus in business and not right. believing that God actually cares about, he cares about the meaning. He's, he sees my work. He's, he, he wants me to talk to the creator of the universe, wants to be in relationship with me in the midst of that workplace. And so part of the excitement of this journey of thinking about business as a ministry, but really business mattering to God is suddenly Jesus is present 24 seven. He already was, but like now I'm actually engaging with him. The Bible isn't just a bunch of academic facts of theology to memorize and practice on Sunday for a Bible drill, but are actually part of me going, God, how would you as the true owner of this business, how do you want to deal with these things? Mm -hmm. And it, it, it makes your whole Christian life get revitalized because now it's about a 24 seven journey, not just a evenings, weekends, retirement. And there's a freedom in that. There's a freedom in that. And it's, and what we do in the business should be an outpouring of who we are in our identity and our relationship with God. And, And instead of, 
well, now I've got a whole new to-do list, <laughs> <laughs> which can be overwhelming and scary. And, and man, is that going to be legal and that kind of thing turns into instead, I'm no longer, uh, I don't, I no longer have boundaries when I cross into work and I can, I can't do it there. Now I can be who I am everywhere. And and then I, as I grow, I start doing more and more of that, doing because of who I am not to become something. That's liberating. I uh, I used to buy thousands and thousands of blue rubber bands and blue little wristbands. And I, I wore it because, um, long story, I've been up doing a, a study with a rabbi once in my workplace back in Chicago. And he helped me see a passage in the Old Testament I'd never really appreciated that has transformed the way I think about work ever since. In Numbers 15, I think it's verses 37 to 39, it's a little verse section. It's a spot where Moses is giving rules to the Jewish people about how to live as they enter this pagan world. And it's where you, if you ever see Hasidic Jews or Orthodox Jews with the tassels hanging up mm -hmm. the ends of their garments, mm -hmm. it was the instruction for that. And the rule was they're about to enter a world where there's no big corporate jobs, right? There is no government jobs. Everyone's a small business person, whether they're farming or making tools or whatever it is, everyone's in small business and hostile marketplace, bad economy. Everyone's got huge families. They're working six days a week, sun up to sundown. And number 15, God literally says, put these tassels on the corner of your garments so that during the day you will look at them and be reminded that I'm the Lord, your God. I called you out of Egypt. Remember where you come from. Remember who you are. And that Unless you be distracted, and it says literally be captivated by other things as you are prone to do. Remember who I am. And this rabbi said, you know, the God of the universe didn't say, why are you working so much? You should stop working and come to the temple all day. He said, listen, I get it. You're going to work six days a week and sun up to sundown. You're going to be busy. You need to put reminders throughout your day that I'm your God. I brought you here for a purpose and the put a blue thread to remember that every Jew was actually supposed to be a small priest to the world around them. Hmm. And so the same way I go to work, I need reminders because my identity just gets hijacked by two o'clock and I'm suddenly yep. distracted by the things forgetting that who am I, where'd I come from, who do I belong to? And he's called me to be an ambassador of his kingdom in the midst of this business day, even if it's exactly. a lousy day or upside down day. Yeah. And that that's the heart of our God is one that's just constantly say, Hey, I know you're prone to forget <laughs> and I know you're busy. I want, I'm with you in that. And that's, yeah. that is liberating. That is freedom. Yeah. Mm. That's Excellent. powerful. I mean, God wants that's relationship with us. <laughs> it was not a correction. It was a clarification. <laughs> mm -hmm. And God wants a relationship with us. You know, he wants us to, to, to fellowship with him on a 24 seven basis. Um, that's, that's powerful. So with C12, what's that secret sauce? I mean, what's the thing? Is it, is it a program where it's like, hey, we have these answers, these, this curriculum, you know, that will help you kind of reorient yourself and figure out, you know, what God has you do. Is it the, the network and the individuals the, that, that opening up to those, those, you know, peers? What is it about C12 that, that you think is, just makes it work? Well, there's not a secret black book that's got all the answers. If so we'd be selling that. And be, <laughs> it, yeah, that'd be a very different world. Uh, God is not interested in giving us five secret steps we go do on our own. Uh, mm -hmm. He's made us for community. So the power of C12 is a 
it's like joining a fitness program, a gym where you're always working out and you're growing different muscles. And sometimes you find out there's muscles you need you don't even have, or there's muscles you didn't, you haven't worked in a while. So yeah. we're each in a different state of fitness, and we're each working out towards different pieces. But we're we're in a gym with other people who are in the same journey. We do have some unique content. We do have some unique things, but it's never prescribing. Here's the secret magic dance that gets you everything you need because the reality is, Will, you're running a media business. Chris, you've been in family business around automotive stuff. I've been in a number of different businesses. What works in one business is not, like God's not interested in copycatting and plagiarizing. So it's what is the father as the unique owner of the business want for your business? How does he view the people you've got, whether you've got 12 employees or 1,200 or 12,000? It looks different. So our, our secret sauce would be there's a, a, a recipe in the kind of cadence of our gatherings that fosters integration. There's a balance of something makes you see things that you didn't see, reflect on trends that you kind of are dismissive, um, help you learn something you didn't know, think about whatever every portion of the business is mattering to God. We usually have an area that we're proud of and areas we're embarrassed by and areas we just never even thought about. And we're going to be constantly trying to poke and shed light on going, hey, what would best practice look like? Where's an area we can honor God? What's an area of ministry we can do differently? You know, you've got your employees and you got the people you know, but who's thinking about their families and you got your vendors and suppliers? And it's just it's just a constant aeration around this idea of of business as a ministry. That God cares about what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, why I'm doing it, and the effect it has. And all those things matter. And so how do we keep growing in that with, with an accountability that helps us not yeah. just talk about stuff, but actually, actually put stuff in motion. And, you know, the, um, I forget who said it, um, Bill Gates has said it, Tim Keller said it, I'm sure they both stole it from someone else, but we tend to overestimate what we can do in a year, but, but then underestimate what can happen in five to 10. Mm. And so the intimidating thing right. about trying to honor God in businesses, you can feel like, man, I want to, okay, I'm going to go do all the things. I'm going to grab all this stuff. And we usually get about, you know, three yards down the field and then we're stuck and overwhelmed or buried by reality or plans get blown up. And, but then if you stay the course, you just keep kind of tinkering, tinkering, God, what next? What about this? And okay, this crisis happened and there's COVID and then there's Mm. lawsuits and family issues. But if you keep kind of failing forward with peers who help lift you up and say, let's keep going. You then look back after three, four, or five years, you're going, man, wow. I can't believe where we're at. I can't believe yeah. where we got to. So I think it's having something that's constantly pulling you towards a bias for action and the right definition of success. Yeah. Hmm. I'm going to add something in too. Um, I've been in C12, uh, it was roughly 10 years in the car business. Mm-hmm. And then for the last couple of years, um, since being with His Way at Work. And while this is not the primary purpose or function of C12 or a group, one of the benefits is the peer advisory and accountability around the whole person. So it's not just the business side, but for an example, an annual on an annual basis, I have to give a presentation of our business, of his way at work, the business, to this group. Mm. And in doing that, this group interviews ahead of time the employees in our organization, and my wife. Wow. 
And that's hardcore. That's hardcore. <laughs> but they're, they, they, these other business owners give of their time during a day when they've got work to do, and they're digging into your employees and your spouse and your marriage to help you as a whole person get down that path, right? Because mm-hmm. I could be doing fantastic things in business if I'm neglecting family and then suddenly, boom, there's chaos or devastation in family. I'm no longer effective in business for the time it takes me to deal with that. Sure. And so this the benefit to me is, is not just what you just listed, but it's in addition to that, it's they're helping me see blind spots, whether it's in my family, in my personal uh, relationship with Christ, if, in the business itself, and it's all of that wrapped into one. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's a big deal. It's powerful. Yeah, if if a key word in the kind of back office of C twelve is is integrity, and but by that being integration, like how do yeah. you bring whole person in? And the way that practice got started, Chris, was a group I was a part of. We were doing that annual presentation, which for a long time was just something you wrote a report, That's you right. told your group what you saw, you asked for them for their advice, and it was valuable. But we eventually began saying, you know, I don't know what I'm not telling you, and I don't know what I'm not seeing. It'd be great if you guys talked to my team. So we say, hey, let's go talk to your CFO and your head of sales and the head of ops and see what they say. And that added a whole other dimension. So we've done that. And then the second year, this guy runs a uh, construction company. We're going, who should we meet with this time? He said, you know what? it'd be pretty cool if you guys met my wife and asked her how I'm doing you know, as a dad, husband. And I'd just be curious what she'd say. I don't know if she'd do it. And so we'd never done that before. So we go and we, we meet his leadership team. We do this 360 and then we get with her and we say, um, you know, how can he love you better? What do you, what do you like about your husband? What's, where's he growing? And, and anything else you'd say or want him to know. And she said something that just wrecked us all. She said, you know what, since he joined C12, I've loved watching my husband go from what I thought was a business owner where the business was about him to he's really a steward. Like the way he thinks about people and impact the business, like he's become a president of a company that I really admire and respect. But I'll see, I'll hear him come home talking about goals and objectives and where this person is going and what he's trying to do for this person. And he's become all about strategic planning. And I wonder sometimes, does he view himself as president of our family as intentionally? Does, do mm. we have goals? Is he developing? Are we being developed? Is there a strategic plan mm. for our household the way he mm. does such a magnificent job in business? And she said, but I'm sure I'm sure all you guys do that more logically than he does. <laughs> and we're all like, oh, geez, no, This isn't about man. us, dear. Let's oh, talk man. about your husband. Yeah, <laughs> uh, darn it. We are... We are all idiots. We are so prone to to apply certain practices in business, but yeah. not at home, and mm. and that just led to repentance and wild journeys. And so, I it is it's interesting, you know, Chris. You're talking about during Jesus and the whole person. When we do surveys every year, trying to ask for feedback, you know, how C12 impacting you was surprising because it's not like you check in and we do a Have you done these ten things you're supposed to do with your family? But it's like ninety percent say it radically changes their marriage. And 65% will say it's revitalized the way they relate to God and, and read his word and practice prayer and, and their personal leadership has changed. Really, I think because when you live your life compartmentalized, it's no wonder that things start to get exactly. funky and decaying. But when they're suddenly all on the table together, yeah, then you're able to suddenly be like, well, that doesn't match this. And yeah, and that's kind of wonky. And oh, um, 
and then God shows up in the middle of all that. And we're basically constantly on a journey of being, yeah. I think it's, uh, I like to say I'm in the discipleship business. I just happen to use the language of business. Mm. And when we are, um, you know, kind of like back to the original support group analogy, <laughs> we all know each other's addiction issues. We all know our propensity to chase shiny things yeah. or to excess. But when you can kind of bring those things all together, um, it also creates back to, I mean, we're all in this podcast because we care about people. Yeah. And the biggest testimony we have is what this does for the tens, hundreds, thousands of people we get to influence through the businesses we're in. And they're not interested in a track and a, uh, a Jesus talk point. They want to see a different life lived. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then they want to be the recipient of a different kind of love where you don't view them as just capital to accomplish a business right. plan that actually is the truck, like the greatest yeah. treasure on earth. And when you can connect those two things, you get changed as much as everyone you're trying to minister That's to. Right. That's yeah. exactly right. Exactly. I'm gonna make a quick note back when you're talking about family and, and strategic plans around family the book that pops into my head that we need to mention here. If that resonated with you as a listener is three questions of a frantic family, Patrick Lencioni, Patrick right? Lencioni. just a fantastic book. That was, I went through a similar experience that, that book knocked me on my tail. Actually, I got knocked down before the book, and then the book helped me get back up. But really good. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. That's a great. That's a great book. I'm sure you've 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 heard a lot of stories of transformation. You've probably seen a lot of stories of transformation in C12. What's is there, is there one that sticks out that you're like, man, just someone that came in, you know, and how C12 has transformed. It it might be it might be your life. It might be someone else's. Um, but what kind of comes to mind? We're like, man, this 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 makes it worth it. Mm. Uh, I can think to a uh, a guy joined a group I was in, and classic entrepreneur, hair on fire, showed his first forum, working ninety hour weeks, trying to scale this um, three million dollar business, three little kids at home, marriage kind of held together by a thread. Um, you know, there's this thing called artificial buoyancy you can have in marriages when you're a Christian leader, where you've got financial stability and spiritual maturity that kind of masks a lot of brokenness in other areas. Mm. And so sometimes you're you're dead and don't know it yet, or you're in the red zone and it's just masked by the fact you're not, you know, struggling to pay bills and you both mm. know the right things. So you're mm. kind of morally willful. But joined group was he's like, you know, world's on fire, this is what I gotta do, spinning the plates. Uh, elder in a very great church, and one of the members in the forum goes, hey, so do you believe God is actually sovereign? He goes, well, of course I do, and he names off all the theologians and backs up the description. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah, if God is sovereign, then how come you live like you're the one holding the world together? Like, you don't act like God is sovereign. You you act like someone who doesn't believe God's real or exists the way you are stressed out all week. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of offensive to the guy. And then we literally at one point stopped and prayed over him in the meeting and said, like, like, this has got to be an inflection point for you. So fast forward, uh, began just changing the way he led, began uh, dealing things at home. Marriage got transformed. In fact, uh, instead of a barbecue, his wife came up and said, I want to thank you. He has become a different husband, a different father. He's become like, the, she basically started describing the fruit of the spirit coming alive in him since mm. joining this group. As you guys began basically reflecting, hey, these God cares about all these things, not just the money you're giving away, dude. Um, he went from working 90 hours a week to 40 hours a week. 
Mm. Businesses more than double. They've got marriages being ministered to there. They've got people going through addiction care at the work. They've got, um, he began getting as excited about this transformation of people in his business and community and what is a company they could go do as he did one more deal, a little bit more money at the bottom line. And it has, has he's gone from being the, uh, the raging addict to the treadmill of business and success the world tells you to get on mm-hmm. to him becoming a, a raging evangelist, a raving evangelist to, Hey, this is not what God's made you for. And yeah. in viewing business about um, vehicles for getting to serve and engage with people in different ways. And so he's kind of drank the Kool-Aid as well. And done, I, I can go still swing by his office or in that town and, and get to see the second generation stories now. Mm. That's of, fantastic. Literally, a sales guy came to work one day and tore up divorce papers in front of him and said, boss, my wife and I are staying married because of what you did to intervene in my life here, the things that's offered here. We wow. be divorced right now if it wasn't for this place. That's fantastic. That's incredible. I want to point something out there, Mike. Um, we were talking in an earlier episode about how quite often the CEO feels like they're all alone in the struggle. And there are various things that we do to perpetuate that ourselves, thinking maybe we're noble in that or for whatever reason. And one of the solutions we talked about is finding a peer group that you can feel safe in, you can be transparent in, and you can share. Now, Mm -hmm. the advice that that business owner got that came from his peers had the words, the exact same words come out of his pastor's mouth in a one-on-one conversation would not have driven change. Mm -hmm. But because that business owner, I I don't even know the guy, but Mm -hmm. I know enough of the guys (laughs) to know or gals that the fact that he knew the peers in that room knew his struggles, had been through similar pressures, understood yep. the, pre- the the overall picture of that position, and were speaking truth in love and with, like you said, with no ulterior motive, he could receive that differently. And so if there's anybody listening that's not in that kind of a group, you may can get that advice from other people, but will you actually take it and take action on it as much as if you're in a peer group where you know these people, you know where they're coming from, it just lands better. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And frankly, where else do you get? I remember being in a forum where um, I see was whining, complaining about some people issues. And one of the peers said, Hey, I'm, t- I'm tired of hearing you complain all the time. When do you actually do something about it? We told you, you need to go back and meet with Karen. You need to have this conversation. You need to deal with this and stop whining about it. And I sat back and he went, oh, no one talks to me like that because I'd either fire them or wouldn't listen to them or wouldn't care. Yeah. Um, but you're right. I needed, I needed the kick in the pants to go do the hard thing or I need to be told we like, um, uh, I think it's so dangerous to get caught up on the other lie of I'm doing all this for God. Mm. And so this one guy was trying to build a billion dollar business, had about $150 million business at the time, but his goal was to get it to a billion dollars, sell it. And he's going to do this crazy philanthropy, you know, give all this money to the kingdom. And that was just, I mean, he was just driven to that, driven to that. And someone said, Hey, it's really cool to have goals. And that's an awesome audacious BHAG, but big hairy audacious goal from Jim mm. Collins term um, but you know, God doesn't need the money. Like God, God, God's 
loaded. <laughs> he's got resources. And while he's honored by generosity and we reflect his character in it, you know, he's not out there wringing his hands waiting for you to get the big liquidity event so he can get a little money from it. And if you let the, the fixation on building this billion dollar business to give a bunch of money cause you to miss seeing people, to miss seeing yes. your family, to miss being with Jesus. If you kind of suspend your journey with God because you're going and making money for God, you know, Jesus said, what's it profit a man to gain the whole world but loses his soul? Yeah. And there's a lot of folks out there losing their soul for God, yeah, that's right. missing the best life with God, and maybe getting to the end of life looking back going, you know, was it Francis Chan said, we shouldn't fear failure, we should fear succeeding at insignificance. Wow. And there's a lot of people who get to the end of their life and go, yeah, I did all that stuff, but who cares? Anything. Yeah. yeah. And what a waste. What an absolute waste. Because mm -hmm. God wants our heart. But how, how exciting to get a spot where even if the business doesn't do what you thought you wanted it to do, when you can go, man, there's like last year, there was a point during COVID, we all had that moment, like, this could be the end. Do I not have a business? You know, I, yeah. I run a business that's based upon getting people in groups of 12. Together. And the yeah. federal government said, <laughs> groups over 10 are illegal. I was like, well, that's a problem. It's time to <laughs> rename business the business. Model, just <laughs> C9. Um, so when you have those moments where you go, oh, is this is this the end? Is Are we going to make this? And you look at cash flow forecast, I got my team together and said, okay, I can issue you paychecks on that month. I just need you not cash paychecks. We'll be good for it eventually, I think. Yeah. But um, so you're, when you have all those moments and nothing's guaranteed or promised, I don't believe that because I'm doing a business, even like C12, that it's guarantees me success or immunity. But when you're doing business, it's about honoring God and impacting people. I also said, you know what, friends, if this is the end, if our business dies in COVID, I have no regrets about the years I've spent here. That's right. The work we've done matters for eternity and the work we've done for each other matters for eternity. And so that can't be stolen away. No stock market crash kills that. No pandemic kills that. So when you, they, they, there's actually a weird security. When you go, if I'm doing this business with God, for God, by God, then really nothing, I can't lose anything other than That's my right. preferred future. Yeah. And that, that goes back to that awesome. question about the sovereignty of God. You yeah, know, so. you know, be sovereign. It's it's his in, to uh, do with what you will with it. Yeah. It's powerful. Mm -hmm. What's a piece of advice that you wish you had been given 10 years ago? If I'd been given a piece of advice 10 years ago, I'd have a whole list of uh, <laughs> don't worry <laughs> about this and uh, jump earlier on that. It would be, um, it probably, I, I hadn't quite gotten this thing I just said to you guys of not letting the lie of doing something for God, causing a miss being with God at the moment. Mm. And to realize that I I have everything I need right now to do everything God's called me to do right now. If I will just look at the present and, and seize those things and mm. to not be so future goal oriented that I miss the, the mystery and the beauty and the goodness of what God's wanting to do right in front of me. It's mm. good. Most powerful. What's a resource like a book that you'd recommend? I know you mentioned some some other things, but is there uh, is there any book that kind of stands in mind people should read? Oh, there's so many, there's so many <laughs> um, books are my friends. Um, you can do multiple. I'll, I'll let you. Okay, okay. Um, so a, uh, a a theology book by a pastor that's actually really good would be Tim Keller's book Every Good Endeavor. That's a really good book around making you think about again connecting your 
belief about God, what the Bible says, to practical things, whether you're in finance or banking or construction. He really tries to connect those worlds together. Mm-hmm. Probably the best I've seen a pastor do with that. Um, the, the guy who founded C12, a mentor of mine, wrote a, a small little book called A Light Shines Bright in Babylon. Mm-hmm. It's really readable, and it's all around kind of rethinking if God cares about how you do your business every day. Um, that's really great. And then the good news is I love stories that are, there's more and more books being written by people saying their story of journeying with Jesus in business. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so you know, God owns my business is an old classic one. Oh, that's a great but one. I, I, I didn't know until I, again, that night I'm like, God, is there gotta be more? I didn't know that there is all these stories out there. Yeah, there are, either. there's hundreds and thousands of men and women who have been and are doing this right now. And I think one of the, great perils to this life is trying to do it in isolation and then feeling alone and overwhelmed. And then you get out and you realize, how come no one told me there's this whole other yeah. world out there? Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Stanley Tam is uh, I read that book um, when I was a, mm-hmm. a, a teen maybe, and just got really? my, got my mindset on, you know, business, Christian business was the thing I wanted to go t- into. So that was a great book. Super interesting. The business, the business card by, by, uh, by a little guy out there in South Carolina. Yeah. That's yeah. a great, it's very practical. It's a one man's story. And what I love is when it starts from, you know, Stanley Tam's book in yeah. the 70s, Peter's book in the 2000s. Guy's been real honest about, I'm not sure if this works, what to do next. It's just this, <laughs> the journey of next steps, next steps. That's right. Well, it's very vulnerable. <laughs> That's good. So what do you think the big takeaway is from today? Those people who are listening, what do you want them to walk away knowing? Mm. I want you to walk away knowing that if you have any dissatisfaction, any angst that you're created for more, it's because you are. That Ephesians 2 10 says, every one of us is created with unique good work that God's prepared in advance for you to do. And your business is not an obstacle, but it's actually the exact context of you both experiencing the abundant life of Jesus and making an eternal impact in your life. And so uh, 100% people are called if you're a follower of Jesus. Every business matters to God. He actually like cares about what's going to happen on a Tuesday afternoon at three o'clock in your warehouse or in your office or wherever you happen to be. And that should change everything. Mm-hmm. And that there's that. tons of people out there doing this stuff. Don't do it alone. Mm. That's good. That's awesome. If someone wants to learn more about C12, where should they go? We have a really easy to remember website called joinc12.com. You can go there and Find out if there's forums near you. We also try to make it a, a resource hub. So if you go to resources, you can get ebooks, articles, all sorts of stuff to help share lessons we've been learning, all practical stuff proven out by by peers. So take advantage of that no matter where you are or what you're doing. And join the join the broader movement of what God yeah. is is doing and has been doing for a long time. Awesome. Good. That's fantastic. Mike, I can't thank you enough for your generosity and just sharing the stories, your personal your personal stories and the stories of C12. Uh, super great, great time. I, I really yeah. appreciate you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Thanks for the time. Like, likewise. My, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of Eternal ROI. If you like what you heard, we would love for you to take a moment and leave us a review and share an episode with somebody you know. If you are inspired to begin bringing the power of God's love into your workplace, take a moment and check out our free assessment at hwaw.com. It'll only take you a few moments. It'll give you a snapshot of what your company looks like and maybe some ways to move forward. Just click on the link in the show notes and we'll see you next time.